You're listening to Democracy IRL from the Center on Democracy, Development, and the Rule of Law at Stanford University. We bring together thought leaders and academics for conversations on the most pressing issues facing democracy and development today. I'm your host, Francis Fukuyama. This is Francis Fukuyama, Senior Fellow at the Freeman Spogli Institute for International Studies at Stanford University, part of the Center on Democracy, Development, and the Rule of Law. I'd like to welcome you to this discussion with Larry Diamond, who is the Mossbacher Senior Fellow, uh, also at CDDRL. In addition, Larry and I are both members of the editorial board of the magazine, online magazine, American Purpose. I would say that uh, Larry is one of the world's leading experts on democracy around the world, but also in the United States. Uh, he has recently written an op-ed in the New York Times uh, about the um, John Lewis Voting Rights Act and other legislation uh, that I think is really critical to the survival of uh, democracy in the United States. But Larry, just to begin, why don't you explain why voting is an issue for the United States right now? I mean, what's the, you know, the broader context that we're talking about? Well, uh, I mean, we've got to unpack it, Frank, because there are so many ways in which voting is an issue for the United States. Let me begin by saying the United States is unique among democracies in the world uh, that have presidential systems and not direct elect, directly electing our president. We have the Electoral College, everyone understands that. We're also unique uh, in um, the degree to which, um, well, we're certainly distinctive and nearly unique in the degree to which our process of electoral administration is decentralized. Um, and I'd say unique in the weakness of federal standards for the administration of elections. And certainly we don't come close to matching our peer industrial uh, democracies, advanced democracies in, in terms of making it easy to register to vote. Uh, and in all of the differences across states and the difficulty uh, of voting. So the two bills that were before the Senate that had passed the House and that would have addressed a lot of these issues uh, have now essentially been defeated uh, because of the unwillingness of Senators Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin to break the filibuster and pass them on a 50-50 vote plus the vice president. And those were the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act and the Freedom to Vote Act, which would have uh, respectively, you know, res restored the federal pre-clearance requirement uh, for states under the Voting Rights Act to alter their procedures for voter registration and voting. Uh, they, certain states would have required Justice Department preclearance to do that, and the Supreme Court knocked it down, and the, the Congress, uh, Democrats in Congress were hoping to restore it. And it would have done uh, other things. The Freedom to Vote Act would have made um, uh, 
voting day a national holiday. I mean, who can really be against that? <clears throat> would have eliminated the prospect of partisan gerrymandering, which is a, a terrible blight on our democracy because it's getting more and more extreme and scientific <clears throat> and would have done many other things to protect uh, fair and nonpartisan uh, electoral administration. The problem is these bills are not going to pass the 117th Congress. So what can pass? What, what, what can we do? And I think the answer before us and the point of my New York Times column on um, Tuesday, January 25th, was uh, that there's still important work to be done on the reform front. And that work involves a very arcane uh, piece of legislation passed in 1887 to address the 1876 crisis over um, the electoral vote in the United States, which almost brought us to, to blows again, called the 1887 Electoral Count Act, which is a very uh, arcane and uh, uh, obtuse piece of legislation uh, that provided the pretext, uh, implausible and illegitimate though it was, for the crazies in the Trump administration to claim that the vice president should impose his will on the counting of the uh, electoral votes, and also made it possible uh, for Republicans to object to uh, the electoral votes of a number of states. Larry, so just to uh, clarify uh, for the listeners, there's really two separate issues, right? There's the voter access issue about who gets to vote. Uh, and then there's the question of counting the vote, Correct. whether it's possible to manipulate that latter process in a way that would override an, you know, a clear democratic majority in, uh, in the states. And I think uh, President Biden went down to Georgia and he was really pushing on the, elect uh, on the voter access issue not so much on the electoral counting issue. And I think that a lot of experts think that that's actually the much more vivid threat right. uh, to a future election. So uh, let me complicate it a little bit further, Frank. Uh, I would say there are three issues. One is, is voter access. Uh, and um, let me start with that one. I think that it is... Um, too extreme to say that we're going back to the Jim Crow era with some of these um, Republican initiatives to rein in voting rights and access to uh, <clears throat> um, absentee ballots and, and so on. Uh, I think that is not what's happening, but I do think it's, it's unseemly to try and make it more difficult um, for voters to vote, more difficult for voters to get access to um, uh, absentee ballots, more difficult for them to find drop boxes to turn in mm -hmm. uh, early ballots. It's unseemly, but you can't say that it obstructs democracy if people are still able to vote on election day. It's just we should be wanting to enhance democracy and not move backwards. 
Anyway, we can talk about that further. That's voter access. On voter administration and uh, the counting of the vote, I think we need to separate that into two baskets. One is the general basket of all elections. How will elections be administered? Who has authority over them? Who can override the authority of somebody else? And so there's, um, there's a wide range of issues that fall into the basket of what election experts have called voting subversion or subversion of the electoral count in any election for, for Congress, state legislature, president, whatever it might be. And uh, this gets into the ability of a state legislature like Georgia to do what um, it has recently done with its legislation and displace a county uh, 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 election authority and essentially take control of, over it as it is done with Fulton County, uh, which is um, the most populous African-American county in Georgia. Uh, and that's disturbing. Uh, and the Freedom to Vote Act would have addressed that. Um, it's not uh, going to pass. Then the third uh, issue is the one before us now with negotiations over the Electoral Count Act. And that is the very specific question of how are the uh, electors for the presidential election from the Electoral College chosen and certified? And can we at least try and protect that from undue partisan interference? And that's what efforts now in bipartisan negotiations uh, by moderate Republicans by, like Susan Collins, Mitt Romney, Lisa Murkowski, Rob Portman, and moderate Democrats uh, like Amy Klobuchar, Joe Manchin, and Angus King, can we at least get bipartisan agreement to modernize, clarify, and improve the protections for that process. And how would the proposed legislation do that? Well, there's several things we need to fix where I think the reform discussions underway show promise. So the first thing is to clarify, to close the door on the Mike Pence maneuver and make it clear that the role of the vice president in opening and counting the electoral votes that are submitted to the Congress to be counted on January 6th um, is purely ministerial, purely ceremonial, that there's no uh, possible no, no discretionary role. authority. There's no discretion for the vice president to, to open up a state's electoral votes and say, I'm not going to count those. I'm not going to give it to the, uh, to the Congress to count. And of course, this is the one reform that Republicans are most interested in adopting now, since the, vice, the next vice president who would be performing that role is not Mike Pence, it's Kamala Harris. And so that seems to be the provision on which it's most likely to get strong bipartisan consensus. The problem is that a lot of Democrats say, well, if that's all that can be done, why should we agree, agree to that alone?
The second um, change that I think we can get is um, to congressional objections to state um, uh, uh, electoral uh, count submissions to a state submitting and certifying these are the electors that it's sending to Congress to be counted on uh, uh, January 6th. Right now, under the Electoral Count Act, it only takes one member of Congress, uh, one member of the House and one member of the Senate to object to a state's um, uh, electors. And I think that there's a pretty broad consensus in the Congress that that's much too narrow a threshold. Um, for uh, legal scholars, including our own Mike McConnell here in the law school at Stanford, uh, and my colleagues uh, in, a, in a study group on this, Rick Pildes from the NYU Law School, and our own vi former visiting scholar here uh, at um, CDDRL, Edward Foley, Ned Foley from Ohio State, and one more, have proposed a reform in the Washington Post that would basically remove the ability of Congress to question a state's electors if it was duly certified by the procedures they had specified. It doesn't look like um, the bipartisan congressional negotiations will go that far, but they might specify a much higher threshold for questioning a state's uh, electors, perhaps you know, a minimum of a third of each body or something like that. Anyway, that's under negotiation. Then there's a third uh, issue with respect to the electoral count that the bipartisan negotiators are considering that I think would help us avert a future crisis over um, the uh, electoral count. Right now, um, the safe harbor deadline for uh, states to certify their electors is uh, uh, in early December. Uh, and then their electors meet and cast their votes closer to mid-December. And if you get into a dispute, as we are veering toward being more and more common over who won a state's electoral votes, because look at these states that are election after election, uh, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, um, uh, Michigan, uh, Georgia, Arizona, possibly in the future Florida and North Carolina, delivering electoral, or Nevada, delivering electoral outcomes that are, you know, a 1% or half a percent difference between uh, the two presidential tickets. So one can imagine post-election recounts, post-election disputes, court disputes, and so on. The roughly one month between the presidential election uh, and the time when states would have to certify their electoral vote result under the safe harbor rule, you know, it's kind of a close call if, it's, if they're going to be court, court disputes. So if we could push that back by, say, three weeks, 
uh, because all you really need to do is certify the vote and cast it, in, you know, in advance of the January 6th convening of the Congress, it would give more time to resolve electoral disputes. So that's another thing that the con bipartisan congressional negotiators are looking at is possibly a delay of something like two weeks in the federal safe harbor deadline to buy us a little more time to resolve disputes. And then we may be able in that legislation or in parallel le legislation to take some elements of the Freedom to Vote Act uh, on which there's less partisan disagreement and fold them into this legislation or companion piece of legislation. So just to conclude, maybe we could talk a little bit about the politics of all of this. I mean, you've, you've begun to address, you know, what can be done in a bipartisan manner and what, what not. Um, one of the things that's quite notable, as a political scientist, I think that this set of issues is the most serious that faces American democracy. And this absolutely has to be uh, fixed. And if you don't fix it, you can imagine scenarios in 2024 that will be completely disastrous. The problem, as I see it, is that the vast majority of American voters don't perceive that. You know, they don't, uh, and, and they're not persuaded, you know, when Biden says that this is, you know, a major, the major moral issue facing us. Well, first of all, he didn't focus on the vote counting so much as on the, on the access to, to the vote. Uh, but, you know, the Democrats are not going to win elections based on this set of issues. Uh, and in fact, you know, what they're going to vote on is inflation and, you know, crime and all of the usual things as if politics in this country were, were normal. Um, do you see a path by which you could actually mobilize more public opinion to take this issue seriously? Or do we have to just hope that it'll be somehow, you know, that a, that a more limited set of reforms will be snuck in at some point because you could get agreement in the Senate? Well, uh, first of all, I agree with you. It's an existential set of issues for American democracy. And I think you and I agree that um, the future health, if not survival, of American democracy is in danger in a way that it hasn't been in our lifetime. Um, I think these issues around the, these narrow issues around the electoral count and how to avert a political catastrophe in which we can't arrive at a legitimate outcome of the uh, uh, electoral college vote for president are not ones that the American public broadly understands or is broadly enough engaged in to demand congressional action. And normally that would mean, well, then nothing's going to happen. But there are issues, um, actually not infrequently, there's ones now involving technological competition with China and other adversaries where the Congress acts because it sees a need independent of a, a groundswell of public opinion. And I think there is one thing going for reform and kind of firing it now uh, in terms of the bipartisan negotiations. And that is 
that the um, 500 and uh, uh, what is it, 35 members of Congress were there on January 6th and saw the near-death experience of American democracy in a very personal and visceral way. Now, some of them don't recognize that that was at stake. Many Republicans do recognize that that was at stake, but don't any longer feel capable of publicly acknowledging it out of fear of um, being, quote, primaried, end quote, by Donald Trump. If they're too acknowledging of how serious a crisis that was for American democracy, but they were deeply personally affected. And so I think the personal nature of this issue for members of Congress is helping to generate a motive to fix this broken process and these uh, hopelessly uh, obtuse and indecipherable laws and to clarify the procedures and insulate the procedures against sabotage in a way that would avoid a train wreck uh, in the 2024 presidential election or some future presidential election. So I'm, I'm not blithely optimistic, but I'm, I'm actually somewhat hopeful that the negotiators in the Senate uh, can find common ground around the following. One, removing the vice president from any substantive role. Two, making it much more uh, difficult for members of Congress to challenge a duly certified state result. Uh, three, giving us at least two more weeks for states that have disputes to resolve them before they have to certify their electoral college vote. And four, um, maybe including uh, some more money uh, for states to modernize uh, their voting equipment. And five, something that Joe Manchin is passionate about, but I think a number of other senators as well, that was a provision of the, of the Freedom to Vote Act, but that Republicans are showing interest in as well, making it a federal crime to threaten or intimidate uh, a, an election official anywhere in the United States, and obviously to, to actually do violence to an election official as well. If we could get those five things, that would be you know a reform very worthy of achieving. Good. Well, let's uh, hope that that uh, will come to pass. You did get, what, 143 Republicans that voted not to certify uh, the last election. And so uh, there seemed to be a lot of people that were there on uh, January 6th that still want to, you know, have the chance of subverting the next election. Yeah. I, I just want to say one last thing, Frank, and it speaks to the deep crisis in our democracy right now. As Adam Kinzinger said, in an interview, I think, well, in a television interview in the last two weeks, a good portion of those 143 Republicans voted out of a sense of fear and not out of a sense of conviction. Uh, and so um, many of them are probably ready uh, for a compromise to insulate the process. Okay. 
Well, I hope that's, uh, that's correct. So Larry Diamond, thank you very much. That was a great explanation of an extremely arcane and complicated issue. Thank uh, you, so Frank. thanks very much. Thank you.